0: Welcome to the One Read Podcast, uh, Angela Mahowa. It's really, really nice (laughs) for us to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we read your book, Critical But Stable, as the One Read July pick. How did it feel having the book on the app in the month of July? And what was the reception like for you?
1: Uh, I was quite excited because as a South African-based author, it's very very Well, I mean, there are very few opportunities to actually reach out to the rest of the continent. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's that I've always wished um, and hope to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the reception has been quite great. Uh, I, I saw a reader review and uh, yeah, it's, it's been amazing and I'll do more of this in the future.
0: That's great. That's great. Thank you for, for, for doing this. You're the first woman crime writer from South Africa. Can you tell us a bit about how you decided to go into crime writing and what's the, what's the pull, the inspiration and the motivation for you for that particular genre? Yeah, I would
1: say fate had a lot to do with it. Um, And let me just explain that. Um, so I was a journalist, I was a crime reporter mm-hmm. and I had been covering um, the case of a serial killer uh, back in the late 90s. And then I left journalism to start a PR business. And then uh, Moses Sitole, who's the serial killer in question, called me about eight years after I'd written to him. And he he said that he wanted me to write his life story. And so I thought about it, of course, he's a serial killer. He was behind bars at the time, he still is. And, um, you know, I eventually decided that because I had always longed um, to write, uh, you know, whether it would be non-fiction or fiction, I had no idea at the time, but I'd always wanted to write a book (laughs) of some kind. And so I decided to go and visit uh, uh, um, the serial killer at the Pretoria Maximum Security Prison where he was held and um, I started interviewing him with the intention of, of, of writing um, um, his biography. But, you know, he's a psychopath and he started acting like a psychopath. He would call me, he would um, send me strange letters uh, because we had to exchange correspondence as I was covering his life story, he would send me his case files. So he'd send me his case files via mail, but he'd also now start writing me these bizarre and disturbing um love letters. Mm-hmm. And so I abandoned that project. And but a few, I think about a year or two after abandoning it, I bumped into a publisher whom I related the story. And he, he loved it, he said, well, I mean, it's still a great premise for a story and maybe you should just fictionalize it. And I, ju- I did just that. And that's how my first book, um, Red Ink, was conceived.
0: Oh, that's an amazing story. When you first reached out to the serial killer, when he reached out to you, wasn't there any feeling of um, trepidation or hesitation? Because this is a violent criminal. That we're talking about and I don't know how many people he killed but did you yeah, at any point stop and just think um this might not be a good idea
1: yeah I mean the thing is he targeted he targeted women um mm-hmm. that fit my profile he targeted 20 something year old black women um and, and at the time I was in my 20s and uh he killed 42 42 women in total and he raped and killed them, and yeah so of course there was t- trepidation And of course I I second guessed myself, but for me, I think in the end, the compelling thing was, you know, this issue of gender-based violence is a big issue in South Africa. I don't know in Nigeria, but in South Africa it's a major issue even then. And for me, it was understanding, you know, the psychology of a man who decides to overpower women and violate them in the way that this man did. It was about kind of, getting into his head and and trying to understand what is the psychosis um, that leads to this kind of behavior, especially towards women, because women are often seen as, especially in the African context, we're naturals, we we are queens, we are kind of elevated in society as, as, as these caring and nurturing creatures. And so to have someone, a man, who just makes it his life's work, actually targets us and violates us in the most you know horrific ways It was something I wanted to to understand to kind of and also I think I wanted to show him that I don't fear him for me mm. the the way that I conquer fear is by overcoming it by confronting it head mm. on so it, it was partly to do with that as well
0: okay and were
1: you and, able but, to be... yeah. go on
0: please go on please.
1: But that canonizing it in a book and, and really kind of exploring the psychology, of course, I would be talking to him mainly, but I would interview kind of the profilers that helped to to capture him, um, the the women in his life. I mean, this man was married, actually. Um, so I, I, want, I, would, I wanted to interview his wife and all these people around him so that I kind of had a full picture of how we got here, how we got to, how he got to to, to, to this uh, violent kind of, um, um, yeah, uh, psychosis.
0: Mm, that's interesting. And like you said, you, you said you were drawn because you wanted to know how his mind worked and what the psychology behind his acts were, which is probably true for most people who read crime fiction. Were you able to gain any interesting insights to sort of why he did what he did and even to people who commit crimes in general? Is there is there something you can tell us about that?
1: Look, I mean, if you read uh, books written by profilers, there is there are some uh, behaviors that are common, like a, a common thread, um, especially with uh, a, a certain you know serial killers, people who commit multiple homicide, um, and and it has to do a lot with background. And you know, he came from a broken home. He he hated his mother. He felt that his mother had abandoned him and his siblings, mm-hmm. and. Uh, claimed that his mother raped him but mm-hmm. i did not believe he claimed that his mother sexually molested him i i did not believe that i believe that he just and 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 you know there's a lot of things with when you're dealing with somebody like him um mm-hmm. you get to know that this is somebody who's very cunning and who will sometimes who knows what needs to be said in order to gain a bit of empathy hmm If you know what I mean. So, so as much as I understood that, you know, a broken home. Uh, A home that's devoid of love, a a, a home where the child faces a lot of abandonment can be a precursor to that kind of behavior. But at the same time, we know that there's a lot of people who come from broken homes who are actually exceptional human beings who are contributing to society. So that alone is not a marker of a a, a psychopath, but it's definitely one of the um, attributes that lead to that
0: behavior. Thank you so much. Uh, That's really insightful. So let's move to Critical But Stable. Can you tell us a bit about the inspiration behind the title for the book? I know that one of the characters used that phrase to describe her her marriage. And I find that very interesting. If you could just talk to us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's quite a departure from what we've just talked about. So Mm -hmm. Red Ink was novel so critical by still my most recent work and um i wanted to write you know it is, it's a strange thing to say because it almost sounds like i wanted to write a romance because i always say i wanted to write about marriage mm-hmm. and, and specifically long-term marriage or long-term relationships mm-hmm. because i feel that it's the ultimate test of our ability as human beings to accept somebody that is not our siblings that is not our kin um and to to, to love them in spite of um, you know their shortcomings. So that is what I wanted to explore, that what does it take to have a 20 year old marriage or a 30 year old marriage or a 10 year old uh, a long-term partnership with someone. Um, so that was the exp- inspiration. It was about exploring also the good and the bad and the ugly of marriage, because I feel like also when a marriage is successful, people like to play up um, all the amazing things um, about it. but it's very rare that you get a a window into what really has managed to bring these people together and and keep them together. And we hardly ever see kind of the not so pretty aspects of marriage. So I wanted to actually just really go into these three couples' homes, uh, their bedrooms, their their everything, and, and just put it out in the open. And also just to reflect on how it is that when you do have that long term relationship, you tend to want to uh, flaunt it as if it's something that is uh, uh, devoid of any flaws, you know?
0: Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. This book get, has a multi episode soap opera feel. I'm just wondering if it initially came to you as a novel or if you thought about writing it as a story for TV because as I was reading it I just thought to myself you know if they made 10 episodes they turned this into a TV show and made 10 episodes people would be glued to their seats to find out what happened in the end you know. Um, how, how did you decide on
1: that is a very interesting perspective because I've actually been approached by a a television producer to do exactly what you're saying um but of course I'm a novelist by you know I I, I can't say by by but I'm, I'm a novelist at heart and I'm a novelist first so I definitely was not thinking about television or movies or anything when I was writing this but I like I said that I did want to give those multiple views. And I think also remember, I started out as a crime writer. And you, if you've read you've read the book. So mm-hmm. you know it starts with what appears to be a crime scene because you see mm-hmm. this young man who's looking down on the body of a dead woman in his apartment, in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. So at first, you don't know if she's sleeping or if he's killed her or what is going on. And we realize that indeed she's dead, so so has he killed her? And then he also mentioned. Oh my gosh, I can't, what do I tell her husband? So mm-hmm. instantly we like, okay, so this woman, he was talking about her as if she's his lover. Mm-hmm. And yet he's talking about a husband. So is she is he having an affair with this woman? So instantly I wanted to plant that seed in the in the mind of the reader that, okay, so as we meet these three, as we encounter the three couples, the married couples that are central to the to the novel, we must have it at the back of our heads that. Maybe one of these wives is mm-hmm. the dead body that you encounter in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, it was just that play on murder mystery mm-hmm. versus kind of a social commentary kind of sto- narrative. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. So let's move forward and talk about the themes that you explore in this book because you explore quite a few. Um, I'll start with asexuality. Um, we find out going into the story that um, Zwandile is asexual. What were you trying to achieve sort of by exploring this kind of situation, especially in a long-term marriage? Um, And these are two religious people um, who've grown up in the church, obeyed um, Christianity and Christianity's rules. And for Lerato, that's Zwandile's uh, wife, she feels that, you know, I've, I've done the right thing. I'm in marriage now, I need to enjoy sort of the fruits or the benefits of marriage, but but she can't do that. And she's a bit confused when she finds out that her husband is asexual, because she so has like, what does that mean? You know, we're married, we've had sex before, we have children, how can you be asexual? Can you, can you just talk a bit about what you were trying to achieve um, exploring that thing?
1: Look, uh, it, it was a number of uh, issues that I wanted to uh, address. Um, one is, a a sexless marriage like what 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 that means when what what does the man or the woman do when they find themselves in a sexless marriage number two it was um culture religion and sexuality Mm -hmm. you know um that oftentimes, especially as Africans we are not free to talk about any other type of sexuality except um heterosexual relationships that is the norm and anything else is taboo you know and so what does it do to the individual who does not conform um uh, to that binary of man woman you know uh, or, or that 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 expectation of um marriage and uh to to an, a partner of the opposite sex the, uh, and and for me it's that A lot of people suffer in silence because of what we as society deem to be taboo. And there are people who are asexual, but they hardly ever um, get seen whether it's on television or in movies or uh, uh, in, in 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 literature, I mean, it's very really rare. I think I, I've not actually read of a, an asexual person, and I'm I'm widely read, mm-hmm. um, so I always feel that that's art, art needs to. Um, how does it go? It comforts. It comforts the. How, what is it called? I can't remember, I, I normally quote this, but I've forgotten it right now. But art is supposed to comfort the unseen and bring to light that which we wish to suppress, especially in a positive way. And I think that talking about something like asexuality, um, if there's one person who's asexual who reads this, just for them to feel seen, to feel acknowledged, to feel like they're not a freak that that this happens. Even though Mzoaki's character doesn't carry out his, asexuality in the most noble way but just the fact that we talk about um the unseen and and in that way acknowledge that such people exist for me is enough
0: Mm -hmm. it's a start not enough it's a start thank you so much for that uh let's move to the role that women play or take in their marriages. So we have three couples here, the Gias, the MCBs, I hope I got that right, and the Manamelas. And in this, these three families are trying to keep up with the Joneses, or as you put it, is it keep up with the Kumalos, is how you said it. (laughs) So these are three families who are sort of high flying, in good jobs, make a lot of money, and they're trying to keep up with society, keep up appearances and do these expensive events. And now we find that the women in these marriages are sort of, they sort of play a more prominent role with regard to being out there in society, but also they're like the fixers in their marriage. So when something goes wrong, they're the ones who step up and try to fix it. And we see that in um, Noma and Julius's marriage, as well as in, Moshidi and Solomzi's marriage. What are you trying to say here about the roles that women play in marriages, especially in a patriarchal society where it seems like where men are supposed to be the head, men are supposed to take the forefront, men are supposed to take the initiative and be the leaders um, in marriages.
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting question because I feel that even in our in the older generations, our 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 parents' times and grandparents' times, as much as there was that perception that men are the heads of the household, I think it was kind of a superficial uh, interpretation of the role that each of the parties plays in a marriage because um, for me, having observed uh, you know previous generations and 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 people around me neighbors and all of that um i'm talking about my childhood neighbors mm-hmm. I, maybe i'm looking at it from a female perspective maybe i've always been kind of anti-patriarchy but mm-hmm. it's always uh, seemed to me that it's the, the the woman who holds like everything together who kind of clues um, the family units together and, and tightens it. And if you look at her role, even if you're not a breadwinner as a woman, um, it's usually up to you to make sure that the kids are fed, the husband is fed, the house is clean, then the visitors are, are welcome to a warm and, and receptive home. And, and that that for me, in terms of what makes a family, like what makes a family stick, that to me uh, is, is the foundation. Um, and 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 so in modern society, maybe it becomes a, a, a sharpened that role because now you not only have to play that nurturing part, but you also are part of the hustling part of the dynamic of making this family, you know, kind of um, um, stand its ground and 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 have the strong foundation. Um, so I think I, I would I would. I would not agree that traditionally, I think superficially we perceived it that way, but I think what makes a family has always had a lot to do with the the matriarch um, in in any household.
0: Okay, thank you so much for that. Um, Let's move on to South African feelings towards foreigners, but also white South Africa's resentment towards Black South Africans. So with regard to the foreigners aspect, Lawrence is from Zimbabwe. Um, There are also a few other characters who, or a few other people who sort of mention that as a foreigner in South Africa, your life is a bit more difficult because people don't trust you um, and people just, they don't trust you. How has that changed? Is that how it always was? And how has that changed over time in South Africa? Yeah, no,
1: that's a good question. It's not always been like that at all. I think, first of all, before uh, democracy, uh, many South Africans were not that exposed to foreigners because obviously we had our borders were more closed. And, you know, um, that that system of apartheid just made sure to kind of blacks out there and whites in here. And so um, so there was never, and and I remember, you know, when 1994, when when the borders opened up in 1994, it was a very welcoming spirit towards, you know, our fellow Africans. It's like people were saying, "Oh, our fellow Africans, fellow Africans, it's amazing." You know, I've got a Zimbabwean neighbor, I've got a Nigerian neighbor, I've got a Muslim. So people, there was an excitement of this uh, this sense of you know um, South Africa, Johannesburg, being more cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. So I. Th- What has shifted, first of all, is the fact that our borders are quite porous,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, you know. And so because they're quite porous, there's a lot of illegal immigration that happens. And, you know, we'll know that in any country, once illegal immigration happens, people start now putting up walls. And then beyond that, I think it's the failure of our government to... Deliver basic services to the poorest of the poor South Africans, mm-hmm. and so there's that jostling for pole position in terms of just accessing basic things like jobs, mm-hmm. like uh, healthcare, like education. So because there's this sense of scarcity of resources, mm-hmm. um, is there becomes kind of a heightened uh, resentment towards the other. But mm-hmm. the strange thing about how it Manifesting itself here in South Africa is that it's not a resentment towards the other, meaning any um, non-South African or any foreigner. It's kind of a specific resentment towards African mm-hmm. foreigners, you know. So, 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 in other words, there's Russians coming in, there's Chinese coming in, there's you know, but you never hear this. Um, um, refrain that says, "Oh no, we're tired of when it's when somebody says we're tired of foreigners." You know, they're not they, no, they're not saying we're tired of Chinese or we're tired of Russians. They mean we're tired of fellow Africans. African. So for me, yeah, Africans. So for me, um, addressing this issue, it was about. I mean, for instance, you've got a the 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 helper, the domestic worker that works for. Um, Norma, so she's a Mosotu national. Mm-hmm. So so, speak, so South African speaks Sotho. It's, yes. it's one of our official languages. But that's also so. But that 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 person is a foreigner, right? Mm-hmm. But then you will. So there's a, a paragraph where um, her daughter, the domestic worker's daughter, is snuck in by her mom because there's xenophobic attacks where in the informal settlement where they live, yeah. and. Well, she's 13 years old, and she's she's kind of sitting there, um, uh, very nervous and worried about her own safety because, you know, um, where she lives in these in these informal settlements, they burnt down uh, her neighbor, who's a Zimbabwean uh, uh, national. So this, so for me, and and it's a nuanced thing that I think I, I did deliberately because I know South Africans would get it is that um, that girl. At first, she's like, okay, but at least I speak so-to, so, like I'm, I'm so-to, so I blend in. So maybe it's never going to happen to me because I blend in. Mm-hmm. But this one, because he's Zimbabwean, he's like foreign, foreign. I'm like foreign, like this is foreign, foreign. So I mm-hmm. wanted to actually highlight that there's a lot of hypocrisy in the way that these resentments are so it was about drawing attention to those nuances of what is it exactly that we we hate? here. Yeah? Are we hating people because they don't speak like us? Are we hating people because they may not the 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 features for some reason we're thinking that they don't look like us, which they mm-hmm. which they do? Are we hating people because they are part of us and because they're part of us, because they look like us, you know, um, ironically, we say they don't look like us, but they look more like us than a Chinese national, than a Russian national. So uh, what is this resentment? What is at the bottom of this resentment, you know? Um, Yeah, so that is, that is, that is the the thing. So for me, I see it as Afrophobia, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: rather than, you know, just a hatred of, of foreigners. It's not just xenophobic, like a blanket statement like that. It's specifically geared towards Africans. So why 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 are other Africans not welcome when, you know, there's other people coming into the country that, that, that are not South African that are accessing, accessing even bigger opportunities sometimes. Mm-hmm.
0: I also wonder if you were taking that into account in the way that you sort of created the the three family social lives. So I know it's a novel and we don't get to see every side, but they're kind of very insulated and we don't know if they're interacting with other, with white people, for instance. I wonder if this is reflective of of reality amongst the elite or the high class in South Africa, in Black South Africa, if they are also quite insulated like that and not interacting with with um, white South Africans.
1: Um, You remember that uh, with the Duke, there is that instance where he's sitting with um, his former employer, who's a white South African, very wealthy white South African. So again. As, as as minor or as deceptively minor that scene is, it's also kind of a statement because um, you know, the the so the the the, the guy, um what's his name now? I, I I wrote it like a year and a half ago now, forty four <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Um but this white guy says to him, you know, you stole from me. Um and and he talks about how Uh, South Africans, Black South Africans are challenging people like him. He's old white money. And uh, how they're challenging people like him because they stole the land and because they stole resources. And, you know, um, I found it interesting to have this dynamic where this guy who because there's, there, there is obviously that strong negative narrative that says that, you know, a, a lot of these old, this old white money is made out of resources that should have been our resources, yeah. like our, our resources, basically. You know, the, the, the natural resources, um, the minerals and all of that kind of stuff. So this man is cut from that cloth of old money that came here, mined the uh, lands, used black labor for close to nothing, and now has this generational wealth, mm-hmm. and so, but he's sitting there and he's saying to the duke, "You stole from me, and now it's payback time," you know. And and the duke himself, in black society, because he's had money for a while, like <laughs> a while longer, him and Norma are old money in South African terms. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's that theme of, you know, where does all this, this old money, all this old money, you know? Where does it come (laughs) from? Yeah, where does it come from? Not to say, but you know, it's just an interesting kind of narrative. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I think you even tried to address that because um, Noma comes from a gangster family and Mm -hmm. Julius, we know that we later find out Mm -hmm. that he's a thief. So even Mm -hmm. their old money is ill-gotten, it's ill-gotten money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just really funny <laughs> how that turns out. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, let's move to aspects of South African culture that you highlighted in the book. And I found really interesting um, because one of the reasons why I read sort of is to learn about other places and other cultures. So two things, the fetching of the spirits. I thought that was really interesting. And I'd never heard. I've never crossed, do that. crossed that before. The really? fetching of the spirit. Yeah, can you just tell us a bit about what that is, what, what the ritual entails and the significance of that?
1: Yeah, so the fetching of the spirit, um, I, to be honest, I didn't know that much about it. Um, the first person who told me about it was my mom, actually, when I was writing the story. Um, and she, cause she used to be a nurse. So she would t- so she was telling me that, you know, especially for people who die under very violent circumstances, mm-hmm um there's that perception that that person's soul is not at ease it's not at rest you know Mm um so, so I don't know so for instance here in South Africa if somebody had died in a like on the side of the road and I've actually seen white people do this as well but what what they do is that where you know you're driving by the side of the road and you see like a cross uh, being born there on that specific site, mm-hmm. and so what what we as Black South Africans do is that not only, so you have to if the person died for, for instance violence on the side of the road or they were stabbed or they were you know killed in some horrific way um, that person's spirit will not rest until it is fetched you know by uh, a delegation of the family group and a spiritual leader of some kind to say you know. Um, this is not your final resting place. This is not how you were supposed to to go, but we will take you to your final resting place. And usually it would be like a a significant, a spiritually significant place. (laughs) Um, If if it's just uh, taking you to where you're going to be buried Mm -hmm. um, or or where, for instance, yeah, so where you're gonna be buried, then then it's kind of a way of ensuring that you're not gonna become a wandering spirit. Mm-hmm. So for us, that interpretation is that if you if that ritual doesn't happen, um, that's how haunted places happen. Mm-hmm. That's how you know wandering spirits come come to to be.
0: Hmm. And does it have to be done with the person's body still there, or can it be done while the body's in the morgue?
1: It can be done. So for instance, my mom was telling me about like how the, by that time the person is in hospital, let's say they've been uh, it's gunshot, they've been shot or they've been stabbed or whatever it is. So the, the family would want to know where was he stabbed. Like that's why it's so important. That, that's why the way mm-hmm. of where somebody died is so important. So if the person's already in hospital, they will go to where he was stabbed, where he was found or she was okay. found. And they would pray over that spirit to to take it home mm-hmm. to it yeah
0: that's really interesting okay so the second point was the abandonment I'm trying not to spoil the story but we find out that the woman dies and her husband sort of disowns her in death is that is that common practice Does that usually happen in South Africa
1: no, it's not, uh, it's uh, it's very unusual, which is why the reaction from society, from everybody was so unusual, but it can mm-hmm. happen. But it, it's not the norm. And there, the statement I, th- I was trying to make there is 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 about how male infidelity is so much more acceptable
0: mm-hmm.
1: than female infidelity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, so many women, um, they even, go get their husband's bodies in the mis- the mistress's house, maybe he had a heart attack or something happened there. And the wife would do everything to make sure that people don't even find out that this is where he was found. You know, she'll come up with a story to, to ensure that, you know, it's kind of, uh, we, we kind of hide this indecency. But when it comes to men, uh, it's not, they're not as forgiving of, the woman's infidelity and with the particular husband in question, I mean, they already had major issues in the marriage and for him, um, it's not about questioning, okay, maybe this issue is what led her to do this. It's about, she has shamed me, Mm -hmm. you know, he has trampled on everything that as a, as a family, we stand for. And so I cannot be associated with that woman, you know?
0: That's yeah great. Thank you so much for explaining that. Uh, so let's move a bit to the end of the book. I think the story, apart from, of course, the person who died, I think the story ends well for most of the other characters. um Noma gets her business. Even the Duke. Jew- <laughs> well, ex- so most of them, not even the Duke, but he got what was coming to him. <laughs> I, I had no, you, you well, for you the women, one. it ends well for you the women. You won't believe how many people were like, why did you do that to the
1: joke? We laughed. And some women are like, oh, I laughed. I think I was in love with the joke.
0: And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? So there was something I was thinking about this morning, which is that if um if the housekeeper's daughter had not been in the house, the police would never have arrived and he would have gotten away with, with the robbery. But you know, it just shows how these things work out. She <laughs> the police if the police had never shown up. Maybe the thieves would have. Found the jewels, but he would never have gone to jail. <laughs> that
1: is very true, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just wanted you to talk about how you, um, how you came to that resolution. The women sort of get what they what they want at the end of the day, but the men are sort of held, holding the consequences of their actions.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't we deserve that for a change?
0: Don't we deserve <laughs> that for yeah. once? Love, love it. I love it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I feel like it's about time that women actually had a happy ending. And to be honest, they're not, the, the endings are not unrealistically happy endings. Do you know no. what I mean? It's not yeah. like somebody rides off into the sunset and lives happily over, ever after. But they are... They are a palatable kind of happy endings like mm-hmm. things could have been worse uh, things could have been worse for Moshidi things that would have, could have I don't want to give away too much could mm-hmm. have been worse for any other character for any of the characters that made it and for me I mean I've always I've actually get into trouble a lot about my endings because um you know growing up reading being a voracious reader and reading fairy tales and stuff like that I just I remember being this child who had very unrealistic expectations of life you know Mm -hmm. I expected the happy ending and I I until I think I became until I was older and started like seeing that life is not always kind of roses and stuff and I've just thought you know what if I wrote a book I want I will never end it in a way that kind of has these unrealistic expectations of what life is about it doesn't mean i'm a pessimist necessarily but i'd like to think that i'm a realist and so my endings i mean for instance i've got a book called the blessed girl mm-hmm. and the one that the book i wrote before this one and um it has like a typical angela mcconnell ending it doesn't it's not well it's actually that one is not happy and it was picked up by Bloomsbury in the uk mm-hmm. and they loved the book but they said, please you have to change
0: your ending you know <laughs> Yeah, that, that you probably didn't take that
1: long. No, yeah, I, I said to them, look, I can give you a different ending, but it's not gonna be like a fairy tale ending because I don't do fairy tale endings. I don't believe in them. I don't think they're real re- I, I don't think they are realistic, you know. And so I, I gave them a different ending, but slightly not as um it doesn't have as much pathos as my my original South African but it's definitely it's it's, I I can I can still call it an Angela McCullough ending you know which is what I was happy with.
0: (laughs) Thank you for that. Can we expect something new from you anytime soon and are you still working in the crime genre?
1: (laughs) Yes I am I'm actually I'm actually working on uh, adapting one or two or three of my books to screenplay so that's what i'll be focusing on for the next i think two or three years
0: including this one f-
1: <laughs> including this one yes i told you that yes. so yeah. I'm, going to co- I'm going to co-produce with them um yeah and we, we we we're thinking of uh television series as
0: opposed to like a feature length yeah sweet are you reading anything I right know, now? yes on netflix one day <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah are you working on anything are you reading anything right now
1: oh my gosh I'd love to say I'm reading oh I'm reading two books actually um the uh, uh what's it the other woman and um a book called what is this book that I'm reading called now oh my gosh it's a but it's a it's a thriller it's a crime thriller
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: by Karen Slotter and, uh, you know, I love I love crime fiction, to be honest. So when I want to relax, when I read for relaxation and just want to kind of get out of my head, that's that's what I escape into.
0: Thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. I've met okay. a lot of news. Okay. Um, it was so great to talk to you. So great to have you.
1: Yes, it was worth all the we <laughs> I'm just yeah. like thinking my Yeah, so we did different appointments. I was even
0: embarrassed when we started. No, no, (laughs) okay. I
1: was so excited
0: for something. (laughs) It was worth the wait. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you. I enjoyed it too.
0: All
1: right. And I hope you'll read Red Ink one day.
0: I will. I'm going to go and read all your books. All right.
1: Perfect. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.